God makes promises and God keeps the promises he makes. Right after the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God promised that one of Eve's offspring would crush the serpent. As the centuries went on, many people came and went without fulfilling God's promise. They received additional promises from God about who the offspring would be and what he would do. But Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and many others that followed them weren't the one that God promised. It wasn't until Jesus was born that the promise God made thousands of years earlier to Adam and Eve began to be fulfilled. We know that God keeps the promises he makes. Since God can't lie, a promise he makes is a promise he keeps. But we also know that it can take a long time for God to fulfill his promises. God's people find that waiting on God is part of what it means to belong to him. For us, when it comes to things like waiting for Jesus to return, we've learned to take the long view. He's coming back, and we're ready for him to come back. Like, now would be wonderful. But we don't know if it'll be today, or long after we've passed from this life into the presence of God. But there are times when we're looking for a more immediate fulfillment of God's promises. There are times when we want God to act on our behalf to save us today. Not tomorrow or the day after, because we feel like we can't go on any longer. What do we do then? How do we navigate knowing God will always do what he says he will, but not knowing when he'll do it? The psalmist in our passage this morning expresses his own struggles with waiting on God. And as he waits, he feels like he's at the breaking point in waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Waiting for God's perfect timing is wearing him out. Have you ever been at the breaking point in waiting for God? You know that God is good and that you can trust him, but you're really struggling with waiting for him to act. What you're feeling isn't matching up with what you know or what you thought you knew about God. Things aren't making sense, and there's part of you that asks yourself, when is God going to do the things he's promised? You wonder whether you can keep going, and you wonder, where is God in the midst of my struggles? If that isn't a hard enough place to be, what happens when our enemies are trying to wipe us off the face of the earth and they seem to be succeeding? What are we supposed to do then? Can we count on God to be our help? Or do we need to take things into our own hands? Psalm 119, 81 through 88 provides us insight into all these questions. It helps us live with the tension of knowing that God's promises are certain, even when the timing of God fulfilling his promises is uncertain. In our passage this morning, we'll see how the psalmist navigates this difficult tension. 
in verses 81 through 84, the first half of our passage, he waits for God's salvation. And in verses 85 through 88, the second half of our passage, he asks God for help in the midst of persecution. In verses 81 through 83, the psalmist uses three word pictures to express how he is worn out and has reached his end while waiting for God to act on his behalf. The first word picture the psalmist uses is, is saying that he longs for God's salvation. Now, when we hear that he longs for salvation, we can think of him having a strong desire for God to save. That's true. But what he's saying is much deeper than that. More than just a strong desire, the psalmist has reached the end of how long he can wait for God's salvation. The NIV translation is helpful here in giving us the sense of what the psalmist says. My soul faints with longing for your salvation. He's been waiting for God's salvation and he's reached the end of his rope. He doesn't know how much longer he can wait. His soul is about to pass out waiting for God's salvation. The second word picture the psalmist uses is that my eyes grow weary looking for what you have promised. He's taking God at his word that he will do what he promised to. But as he looks out for signs that the promises are being fulfilled, he doesn't see anything. He's straining his eyes to see a glimmer of God doing what he promised, and he doesn't see it. Again, the NIV translation is helpful here when it says, my eyes fail looking for your promise. We get the sense that he can't keep his eyes open anymore and that they're going to close without seeing God keep his promise. He's at the end of looking for God to keep it. The third word picture that the psalmist uses is that he's become a wineskin dried by smoke. This is another picture of how the psalmist feels that he's reached his end. He compares himself to a wineskin that's dried out, cracking, and blackened by smoke. When a wineskin was dry and no longer flexible, it could tear and spill the contents that were stored inside it. This meant it was no longer fit for purpose. The psalmist is basically saying that his useful time has reached its end. He can't carry a load any longer. Since we don't use wineskins today and may struggle a little bit to understand what the psalmist is saying, I thought of an illustration that we are likely familiar with in Portland. It's like being a burned-out, stripped car on the side of the road. You can't drive it anymore, and even the parts of the car that are left aren't usable. Its load-carrying days are over. In all three of these word pictures, the psalmist is telling God that he's reached his end. The psalmist isn't questioning God's ability to save or keep his promises. He's asking, when is he going to do it? How much longer is he going to have to wait since he doesn't feel like he can wait any longer? The psalmist isn't just being overdramatic. He has legitimate concerns and he's telling God exactly how he feels and what it is he's going through. We have the freedom to do the same thing ourselves. We don't need to pretend with God that everything is fine and that we're always doing well. 
He knows better anyway. We can cry out to God and share our frustrations and discouragements with him. Even if our frustration is with waiting on God to do what he said he will do. But in the midst of pouring out what he's feeling, the psalmist has more to say to God than that he's worn out with waiting. While verses 81 through 83 begin with word pictures that express how the psalmist is worn out and has reached his end, that's not how these verses end. While his soul is fainting, longing for God's salvation in verse 81, he puts hope in God's word. He may be fainting, waiting for that salvation, but because God's word says it will come, that's what he hopes in. He hasn't lost his hope in God's promises, even though he hasn't seen their fulfillment yet. While his eyes fail looking for God's promises in verse 82, he asks God, when will you comfort me? He may not see God's promises being fulfilled yet, but he's certain about them to the point that he asks God when he will comfort him. He's directly asking God, When is the comfort coming? While he describes himself as a wineskin dried by smoke that can no longer carry a load in verse 83, he doesn't forget God's statutes. He may feel completely spent and not be able to carry on, but he can still carry God's statutes with him. So in the midst of telling God that he's worn out and has reached his end, he also continues to hope in God's promises. Ask God when he will comfort him and remembers God's statutes. He's worn out, but he hasn't given up on God, and he won't. After showing three different ways he's reached his end in verse 84, he asks God, how many days must your servant wait? When will you execute judgment on my persecutors? It's not a question of whether God will execute judgment on his persecutors. It's a question of when will he actually do it. So what is the psalmist waiting for God to do? Does he have right expectations of God? He's waiting for three things. He's waiting for God's salvation. He's waiting to be comforted by God. And he's waiting for God's judgment on his persecutors. These are all good expectations the psalmist has because they're things that God says he will do. Let's dive into each one of these in more detail. What is the salvation that the psalmist is waiting for? When we hear the word salvation, we most naturally think about God sending Jesus to save us from our sins. That's a good definition. And salvation definitely includes this idea. But there is more to the salvation the psalmist is waiting for. Salvation for the psalmist also includes God bringing judgment against his enemies. The psalmist helps us develop a perspective that sees salvation as saving us from sins and judging those that hold on to their sins. God saves us individually through faith in Jesus and cleanses us from our sins so that we can be his people. God also saves us by judging evildoers and bringing the consequences of their evil actions down on their own heads. By God judging his persecutors, the psalmist will be saved from their attacks 
and they will receive the judgment they deserve for disobeying God. That's the salvation the psalmist is waiting for. God has cleansed him from his sins, but he hasn't yet judged his enemies. What type of comfort is the psalmist seeking? The psalmist is seeking the comfort of seeing God judge his enemies and deliver him from their persecution. This isn't about the psalmist making his personal comfort his ultimate hope. Instead, he hopes in God's judgment against evildoers who are persecuting him. The psalmist's hopes are informed by God's word. He wants God to comfort him by doing what he's promised in judging his enemies. When our hopes are informed by God's word, we hope in things that are right with confidence that we'll receive them. The psalmist looks for the comfort of seeing God act to preserve him and judge those who have caused him so much trouble. Why does the psalmist want his persecutors to be judged? We'll see exactly how his persecutors were treating him in the last four verses of this passage, but the psalmist wants them to be judged because God has said he will punish evildoers. He wants his persecutors to receive the punishment they're due for their opposition to God and himself. Given how worn out the psalmist is, he asks God, how long is he going to have to wait? There's no question in his mind that God will judge righteously. His question is how much longer it's going to take before it happens. How the psalmist waits on God is instructive for us. Waiting isn't passive for him. He takes action by hoping in God's word, trusting in God's promises, and asking God when he's going to judge his persecutors. He boldly asks God when he'll be comforted and when his waiting will end. The psalmist feels no hesitation in calling out to God with his concerns. The psalmist feels no doubt in asking for God to keep his promises. He wants God to act now instead of later because he doesn't know how much longer he can hold on. But he still trusts in God. In the meantime, he's hoping in God's word and not forgetting his statutes. He's waiting for God to act because only God can bring about his promises. So what do we do when we're worn out waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled? We call out to God with our concerns. We ask God to keep his promises to us. We keep trusting in God, hoping in his word, and not forgetting his statutes. We pour out our hearts to him and ask him to act on our behalf and after all of that, we keep waiting on the Lord. We're completely dependent on God. And we feel this deeply when we wait on him to do what only he can. As helpless as this can feel, there is no better place for us to be. We're in the loving care of God and he is always good even when he takes longer to act than we would like. The thing we can't do is try to step into God's place to do what he hasn't yet, or try to take things into our own hands. We can ask him to do what he said he would do with 
everything we've got. But we must also wait on him in his perfect timing. If this seems like too much for you to handle, remember that Jesus is waiting for God's promises too. In Hebrews 10, 12-13, it says about Jesus, But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. After Jesus accomplished our salvation by making one sacrifice for sins forever, he began waiting for God to judge all of his enemies. Even though Jesus came and accomplished all that God gave him to do in paying for our sins, he is still waiting for his enemies to be put under his feet. Jesus is waiting right now for the day God appointed when he will return to reign over the whole world and judge his enemies. And he's been waiting for over 2,000 years. Has God promised that this day is coming for his son Jesus? Absolutely. Has that day come yet? No, it hasn't. Jesus is waiting for God the Father to fulfill his promises to him. This is yet another way we get to follow the example of our Savior. We wait like Jesus does for God to fulfill his promises and bring judgment against his enemies. When we experience the pain of others persecuting us because of our allegiance to God, it grows our longing to see God judge evildoers. It grows our longing to see Jesus return and judge the earth. But that day of final salvation hasn't come yet, even though we long for it and sometimes feel that we can't wait any longer for it. Along with waiting for God's salvation in verses 81 through 84, the psalmist asks God for help in the midst of persecution in verses 85 through 88. Through our study of Psalm 119, we've seen the psalmist mention multiple times how his enemies are treating him. They've taunted him, spoken against him, ridiculed him, and smeared and slandered him with lies. Now they are digging pits for him, persecuting him with lies, and they've almost succeeded in ending his life. They're actively working to cause him to fall and put an end to his life. They continually display arrogance and an unwillingness to humble themselves before God as they work to ruin the life of the psalmist. The psalmist calls out their arrogance as they lay traps for him to fall into. And he notes that they are violating God's instruction as they do this. Ultimately, even though the psalmist is experiencing their sinful efforts against him, he acknowledges that they are really setting themselves against God's instruction. The psalmist takes pains to point out that they're opposing God. He wants God to act, to judge them for their evil actions against God himself. He's concerned with how they're treating God and wants God to judge them for their sin. In contrast to the arrogant who violate God's instruction, the psalmist declares that all of God's commands are true. 
He values God's commands and instructions, especially when he's being persecuted with lies. In the midst of this difficult situation, he calls out to God to help him. Notice the simplicity of this two-word prayer. Help me. He doesn't go on and on with vain repetitions. He simply pleads with God to help him. God knows him and the situations he's facing. And God can provide the help that he desperately needs. Why does he ask God to help him? Because of what he knows about God from his word. In Psalm 121, the first eight verses, it says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. When we feel like we're at the end of ourselves and don't know what to do, we can call out to God and ask him to help us. He's our protector both now and forever. He's where our help comes from. And we can confidently ask him to help us, knowing that we'll find no better help anywhere else. In the midst of this persecution, the psalmist acknowledges that he came very close to death. They almost ended his life on earth. But even when his life was threatened, he didn't abandon God's precepts. He holds on to God's precepts, and God preserves him. The psalmist took to heart what Psalm 97.10 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. He protects the lives of his faithful ones. He rescues them from the power of the wicked. He would not abandon God's precepts, and God rescued him from the power of the wicked who were trying to kill him. Even when the psalmist's life was threatened, he kept a perspective that his life on earth is not all that there is. He pointed out that they almost ended his life on earth, but there is other life he possesses that his persecutors can't touch. His persecutors were trying to kill him, but at worst, they could only end his life on earth. They cannot separate him from God. His hope in God for eternal life is something that even the worst persecution can't reach. If following God meant losing his life, he will follow God and obey his instruction because he has hope from God beyond his life on earth. Jesus faced similar circumstances during his ministry on earth. People set traps for him to get him in trouble with the religious leaders and Roman authorities. They disobeyed God as they sought to discredit him by misrepresenting what he said and what he did. They kept trying to figure out ways that they could kill him and eventually paid blood money for one of his disciples to betray him. 
in the midst of his own persecution, Jesus kept entrusting himself to God who judges justly. We follow his example by doing the same. We pray the way Jesus taught his disciples, with humble dependence on God to provide us all the things we need, including delivering us from the evil one. Having faced persecution and nearly dying, the psalmist asked God to give him life in accordance with God's faithful love. The psalmist keeps coming back to God's faithful love because he can depend on it and it demonstrates God's loving care for him. Since the psalmist belongs to God and God has promised to love him, he asks for God to give him life that flows from his faithful love. This is just another way of the psalmist asking God to keep the promises he's made in his word. How will the psalmist respond to receiving life according to God's faithful love? He will obey God's decrees that have come from God's mouth. Is the psalmist trying to make a deal with God? God, get me out of this jam by giving me life and I'll obey. No. He's asking God to sustain him so that he can keep obeying God. He's not trying to strike a bargain with God, but instead telling God how he will rightly respond to God's faithful love for him. We are responders to God's love, not earners of God's love. We don't earn his love, and we can't pay him back for it. But we can live in a way that shows that he's demonstrated his faithful love to us. He gave us a gift we didn't deserve and could never pay for ourselves. It cost his son Jesus his life, but it's a gift we receive and then respond to by loving and obeying God. He gives us life to serve him in righteousness. He gives us the wisdom and discipline to grow in obedience to him. He gives us the privilege of walking in good works that he's prepared for us that make his grace known. And God is able to provide us all these good gifts in the midst of persecution. God sustains us in our faith in him through his faithful love. It's important to note that even though God preserved the psalmist's life, he sent Jesus to die a painful death on the cross. God protected us from his wrath by pouring it out on his son in our place. God gave us life through the death of his one and only son. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us so that we could be reconciled to God. All of our sins were paid for on the cross so that we would escape God's eternal judgment and instead receive eternal life from him. Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable to God because he persevered through all the temptations to sin and perfectly obeyed God. He now gives us new life so that we can obey God and persevere in faith in the midst of being worn out and persecuted. Jesus blazed the trail for us, and as his disciples, we follow where he leads. That path will include persecution, and that path will include waiting on God to keep his promises to us. But through it all, God shows us 
his faithful love. The psalmist was free to express both his frustration and his hope. That's the tension we live in as God's people. We're worn out with waiting for God's promises, and we know with absolute certainty that they're coming because of what Jesus has done for us. One of my new favorite songs from Sandra McCracken and Shadowlands expresses this tension really well. It's called Song for the Waiting. These lines come from the middle of the song. For the longing, for the aching, for the looking, anticipating, for the healing, for the breaking. This is a song for the waiting. There is a song in the night like bells on a hill still ringing. You are the song in the night I cannot keep from singing. For the lonely, for the stranded, restless, ruined, and empty-handed, in every season and every station, we live in hopeful desperation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for how gracious and good you are to us. We thank you for your faithful love, which was so clearly demonstrated to us through your son, Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that you have given us life through him and the hope of eternal life that is coming. Lord, we ask while we wait on you to provide what you have promised to do, while we wait along with your son, Jesus, our Savior, Lord, may you protect us and preserve us. May you help us and encourage us. May you deliver us from those who persecute us and desire to harm us. Father, we thank you that we can bring these cares and concerns to you and our frustrations, Lord, when we get tired of waiting, knowing that you hear and that you know and that you care. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and the encouragement from your word that we can call out to you. Lord, help us to call out to you when we feel desperate and worn out and done. We thank you, Father, that even though we live in this tension of complete certainty that you will fulfill your promises and the uncertainty of when they will be fulfilled, Lord, that you sustain us even so. Lord, we rejoice in you for your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for all you do to keep us going moment by moment and day by day. May we never turn away from you, but continue to persevere in faith until the very end. We praise you and rejoice in you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.